Hey everybody, hopefully you're having a good time in whatever home you're at, whether it's your own or with, you're with a group of people. Um, we just are excited to still be doing church together this week. Um, if you have your Bibles or you have your phone in front of you, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter four. That's where we're gonna be this evening. Joshua chapter four in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, um, the Bible's essentially broken up into two different sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, Joshua is one of the books in the Old Testament. If you're still confused, where it is, you can go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible, um, and uh, it'll tell you where, where Joshua is at. Um, I'm really excited this evening because we are on our final core value for the church. It's our 10th core value, and here is the value. We have the privilege of leaving a legacy of heaven to the next generation. We as a church have the privilege of leaving a legacy of heaven to the next generation. So let's look down at our Bibles And uh, let's read from Joshua chapter four, verse one. When the whole nation, the nation of Israel, had finished crossing the Jordan River, the Lord said to Joshua, who was essentially leading Israel at this time, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you're staying tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do those stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I love this passage. It's something that I remember early on when I first was reading through the Bible as a young man, uh, it catching my attention. And um, one of the reasons why I love this story is because this is a symbol of legacy, a symbol of what it looks like for people to hand down their culture to the coming generation, to hand down their stories, their testimonies to the coming generation. Essentially what's happening in this passage is that Israel has just entered the promised land after exiting slavery in Egypt for 40 years. Um, and, And here's the command of the Lord. Israel, you've just received the breakthrough that you've been looking for after 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Here's the promised land. Your hope for all of those years, the light shining at the end of the tunnel. Don't let your children forget the story of triumph that led to this point. And and I, I just love this line. Take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. From that place, grab those stones and make a reminder. So that your children, like why are they doing this? Well, it's so that your children never wonder if the promised land is really theirs or if they need to go and to fight for it again or go through another tumultuous 40 years again in order to receive what God has for them. They get to receive the breakthrough for free that cost you all so much. And may these stones be that reminder of their personal and shared legacy. This is what legacy looks like. Legacy is a handing down of the shared history, 
victory and culture of a place to the next generation so that they start where you finish. So that the next generation starts where you finished. Now, just like in a family, in a church, some of this victory and culture is taught verbally. It's what I'm doing right now. It's think of our even our 10 core value series that we've been going through for the past couple months. What we're doing is we're teaching the culture. We're, we're literally speaking the culture that we're hoping to see take root in a place. Um, and, and so some things are taught, but also some things are caught. It's just in the air of a people. When you walk into their midst, nobody has to tell you what they're about. You just sense it. Nobody has to explain what to do in a certain situation. You just see it. And so some things are caught and some things are taught. And tonight I'm more concerned with what is caught when somebody comes into our midst. Saints Hill Church, when somebody comes into your home, when somebody comes into our gathering space, what do they catch? Because really, that is what we all have the ability to affect. Some of you may end up teaching here at the church. You may teach a class or you may, I think of Chad and Lauren, they're kingdom nights that they do. Um, that They have teachers come in and, and they teach and they share verbally about culture. Um, we have teachers every week. We have somebody who shares verbally from the scriptures about what we're aiming to see, but what every single person has the ability to affect um, is what's caught, what's in the air. Um, I, I had, I just thinking about this this week, I had three of you come up to me uh, this last Sunday and share per personal prophetic words with me, things that you felt like God was telling you to share with me. I can't tell you how blessed I was from that. I really needed that. That past week was kind of a rough week and having somebody come up and actually share uh, verbally with me what uh, they, were, they were feeling for me was just really, really encouraging. I had a, I had a gal come up, run up to me after the, the gathering uh, this last Sunday and she said, you'll, you have, you'll never believe what just happened to me. That guy right there, and she pointed up towards the balcony. That guy just shared a prophetic word with me that was so true for my life. And he invited me to come to his home this next Monday for a small group. So my prayer is that our church would be impossible to come to without receiving encouragement from heaven. That whenever you see somebody new, whether they're in, their, in your home, sitting, maybe they're sitting in your living room right now, just be asking the Lord, what do you think about this person? I really believe that a prophetic people is going to change the world. People who see what God intends for the world, calling that into reality in our present is what's going to change Newburgh and the surrounding area and even the world. Um, see, I think that culture will be the undying legacy of Saints Hill Church. Now, this is an important value because for anything successful, we have to begin with the end in mind. For your life to be a success, you have to begin with the end in mind. Through this message, what I want to do is place a target on where we're hoping to go in the next 30 years. What you can expect to aim for in the next 30 years. What will those who come in 2050 receive in the air because of what we've planted and invested here in 2020. Many of us won't be around any longer, but what will those who come then inherit? I would argue that thinking and planning like this is being like Jesus. Because one of the primary goals that Jesus had was to help humanity receive an inheritance that they didn't earn. So I wanna talk about inheritance. When someone comes into Christ and is born again, you actually become one of God's children. In fact, Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7 says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Think of what that word means, heir. What, what's the imagery that conjures up in your mind? My wife and I love period pieces, and so I just think of all of the rich people inheriting stuff and uh, huge castles and mansions. There's an heir. We found an heir, and they're gonna inherit all of this because of nothing that they personally did. They just had the right bloodline. Well, it's actually the same for Christians. Let's do a little bit of theology here because I think this is important for us to understand. Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says this, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, pay attention, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the entire universe. Okay, so Jesus is an heir and, and he's inheriting what? Well, he's the heir of all things. Now, this is where things get... Really crazy. Romans chapter eight, verse seven says this. Now, if we are children, right? We know we're children. Galatians has told us we're children. Then we are heirs. Okay, yes, Paul, you've said that in Galatian. Heirs of God and, he says this, co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, think about this. What did we just read in Hebrews? Well, Jesus is the heir of what? All things. And who are we? We are co-heirs with Jesus. It's just stunning stuff. Jesus is inheriting everything and we're co-heirs. So what are we inheriting? All things. And, and, and this, is, this is why I, I really encourage you, meditate on that until that really sinks into your heart. This is why the primary metaphor in the scriptures for salvation is being born again. It's a whole new life. It's a whole new bloodstream. It's a whole new family and identity. When you get, got into this family, you became an heir and there's a new inheritance for you and it's heaven. But here's the catch. Imagine this. Imagine that you had a father who passes away and you never knew that your father was wealthy. He lived very frugally. And let's say that he left you a million dollars in the bank. Well, that could change your life. But if you don't know about it, it won't change your life. If it wasn't recorded anywhere, if nobody contacts you and says, hey, your dad left you this money, it won't change your life. And if you don't go to the bank, it won't change your life. And if you don't make a withdrawal, it doesn't change your life. See, there is this very real spiritual inheritance that we all have access to. It's the power of God in, in our present day. It's insight and heavenly wisdom. It's all things. It's the authority to loose and to bind. It's the things that the scriptures speak of that you have the ability to be more than a conqueror, that you actually can live without lack. And those who come after us will inherit those same things should they choose to trust Christ with their life. But they will also inherit our limitations on what we believed that heavenly inheritance meant here and now and on how much of that inheritance we actually reached for in our lives here and now. Here's what I mean. Those who are born in this air in this culture that is Saints Hill, will also receive the way that we received the inheritance that Christ has purchased for us. Did we reach for what God has made available to us? Did we live aware of what he deposited into our accounts? 
Did we pray big prayers? Did we dream big dreams? That culture and that sense will also be handed off to the next generation as well. And so it's actually our job to steward really two things, the revelation of God's goodness and the breakthrough of his power in our lives. The revelation that he pours into our church our new understanding of who he is and the breakthrough of what he chooses to do in lives of individuals in their character and in their bodies physically. Those are the two words that come to mind when I think of inheritance for us as a church, revelation and breakthrough. For those who come after us here in Newburgh, their inheritance spiritually will be related to the revelation that we carried and the breakthrough that we walked in. So I just want to look at each of these uh, this evening. First, revelation. You know, there's many different kinds of revelation. Maybe even that word, you hear that revelation, you're like, what are you talking about? Revelation we receive. Do you mean the Bible? And I do mean the Bible. See, there's, there's general revelation, which the scriptures talk about. It's God's character revealed in creation. It's uh, going on a hike up at the Abbey and, and taking in the beauty. It's general revelation. God is beautiful. God cares about excellence. Look at what he's done. He cares about peace and tranquility. He also has created the world to function in a certain way where nothing is wasted. Even as, as leaves are decaying right now, they're actually creating rich soil for life to spring out of in the next few months. Uh, that's general revelation. It teaches us about God. But there's also special revelation. That's this. That's scripture. It's specifically revealing who God is. It's authoritative over our lives. It's God stepping into history and actually teaching us how to live. But what I'm concerned with is something a little bit different. Both important. We'll hand both of those down. But what I'm concerned with this evening is what I call little r revelation. Little r revelation. I don't believe this to be authoritative, but I believe it to be instructive. Little r revelation is insight and new understanding around a scripture or it's fresh wisdom about God's character. It's that moment where somebody shares something. Maybe it's something you've, you've even read the passage before thousands of times, but the way they share it and the insight they bring out, you're like, whoa, there's something on that. There's, there's wisdom on that. There's excellence on that. There's glory or presence on that. That's, that's not just an, an, your average word. That's a good word. That's a benediction. That's, that's, that's something that just changes me, even as you were speaking that. And, and this is scriptural. The, the Bible actually talks about this kind of revelation. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children, think legacy, forever that we may follow all the words of this law. So get this, there are secret things, it says it right there in Deuteronomy 29, that were revealed to help Israel, what, is it, what does it say? That we may follow all the words of this law. So they, they, these secret things that were revealed to them actually enabled them to live well, to live with wisdom and follow God in, in, in entirety of what that means. So God has secrets and it's his intention to share those secrets, to reveal those secrets so that the people of God may follow his word, may live well. And get this, those things, those secret things that are revealed to us, they belong to us and to our children forever. Have you ever heard um, a message from someone, maybe it was over coffee, uh, it could have been a sermon or even in a song, and the wisdom shared seemed to open your mind up to God in an almost supernatural way. It opened your mind up to following him in a more profound way in your life, like a secret of wisdom from God. 
I'll never forget the first time I ever heard one of my heroes, Bill Johnson, speak. I was on the MAX uh, train coming out of Portland, going to my in-laws' house, and I had about a half an hour ride. I pulled up. I'd never listened to him before. I was skeptical of like, whoa, Bethel's kind of sketchy. What do they think about this or that? And, and I remember um, I'd been challenged by a friend. Hey, have you ever just listened to Bill? And so I pull up the sermon, and I'm just like, wow, well, I'll just check it out. And I, I'll never forget when I exited that train, my jaw was just at, on the floor. And I, I remember sitting in the car, my wife picked me up, and I just said, there's a man who nothing, he, he only speaks wisdom. I'm like, I've never heard somebody with this level of wisdom, just this level of insight into the character of God, into, into who God is and what he intends to do through our lives. It, it, was, it was a life-changing moment for me. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter two, he says, yeah, this is why. He says this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So he's talking about wisdom. It's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. So he's talking about God's wisdom. It's a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If you understand real wisdom, heavenly wisdom, it leads you to trust God. It's kind of interesting. He says, however, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. In other words, these are the wisdom that God has revealed to us by his spirit. So let's break this down because I think the grammar can get a little confusing here, but I, I really believe that this is important. What Paul is saying is that he's not concerned with naturalistic wisdom. Anybody can access that through trial and error. He's concerned with heavenly wisdom. Now notice this, heavenly wisdom has been hidden been hidden. But why? Well, it says in the scripture, for our glory. Now, what's interesting to me is that God's wisdom, when we take a hold of it, when we share it, when we live by it, one of its purposes is to glorify you. For it's, been it's been hidden so that it can be revealed for your glory. It's impressive. It's meant to attract. It's meant to put on display the workings of God's mind and his kingdom so that your neighbors and the people around you get attracted to you and go, where did you get the skill in living? How did you know what to do? How, where did you hear that from? That's the shape of godly wisdom. Now, how do we recognize this wisdom? How do we recognize this little R revelation? Well, look at the last line. He says, these are the things revealed by the Spirit. These, what are these? Look before it. It's what no one has heard. It's what no one has seen. It's what no mind has imagined. The good that God has planned for those who love him that we couldn't have come up with on our own. When we display his goodness in our thinking, when we display uh, his intention in our action and in our voice, um, what we're doing is we're putting on display godly wisdom. So I would put forth to you this evening that if it doesn't inspire hope, it's not wisdom. If what you're believing doesn't inspire hope, that's not godly wisdom. What is the nature of little r revelation? It's insight into the unbelievable goodness of God that no one has imagined, no one's heard of before, no one has ever seen before. And it's this hopeful wisdom that cuts through the depression, cuts through the power struggle, cuts through the monotony of our day to cause us to rule well here and now. Our vision that God has had for us since Genesis chapter one. 
we're enabled to do it by the secrets of God being revealed to us. I believe that God has actually given our church insight into his character and given us loads of little r revelation. Even some of our values, like the privilege of hosting God's presence here, um, that, that's bits of insight into his character, bits of insight into what he intends to do and how we get to interact with him. The idea that our staff has, uh, we, I think a piece of revelation God's given our staff is that we won't build big programs, but we'll build big people. That is like little our revelation. Um, and these revelations about who God is and his position towards the world are things we get to give away to our children and those who come after us. So, so here's the question. What revelation about his character are you seeing in the scriptures? What's being revealed as you read the scriptures? What, it, what is he speaking to you even personally as you take time to go on a hike or while you're in your car? And how is that revelation changing the way that you live? How will you pass that on to the people around you. Secondly, breakthrough. So revelation and secondly, breakthrough. Breakthrough is when something that could have taken an incredible amount of time or work or effort happens in a moment. Something that could have taken seven years happens in seven minutes. And and it can actually happen with character. I've seen this happen with character. Uh, my wife, uh, she had this, this um, kind of relational issue in her life at one point where she had some bitterness in her heart towards another person. And I remember we were sitting across from a mentor of ours and this mentor just at, throughout the dinner was listening to us kind of bemoan this relationship and this issue that we were having. And, and I remember this mentor of ours just looked straight into my wife's eyes and just said, you need to stop being bitter in a moment, my wife has never dealt with that same level of bitterness uh, that she had in that relationship from that moment on, just in a moment. Or breakthrough can happen communally. Maybe a place is, um, or a town is struggling with finances and through prayer, um, through the people of God coming together and interceding, God provides an income possibility for an area. That's breakthrough communally. Um, Or I know this has been the case for many churches who have pursued God healing people in their midst. Uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement of Church, Churches. For 10 months, prayed for people to get healed. Nobody got healed. And after 10 months of praying, finally one person got healed. And then it was like a tidal wave, a deluge of, of uh, healing took place in that church. Um, the breakthroughs that we have in our lives, we actually can hand down to the next generation as well. If we become a church that has a breakthrough in our love for God's word, we hand that down. If we're a church who sees healing frequently happen, we hand that culture down, that heart down. If we're a church where his presence is easily accessible, we hand that down. It's just in the air. And I really think that there's a gentleman named George Mueller whose life was an example of handing down breakthrough. Now, some of you may know who George Mueller is, but essentially he was a man who lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England, during a time where most orphans in, in England in this time, uh, they lived in miserable workhouses or they were homeless out on the streets. And George Mueller took them into his house. He fed them. He clothed them, he educated them. And over his entire life, he fed, he housed and educated over 10,000 orphans. Now, here's the real kicker, because this is where the story is really interesting. He never asked anyone for money, not even once, but he simply resolved in his heart to open his mouth that God would fill it. That's what Psalm 81 verse 10 says. Open your mouth that God would fill it. And that was his resolve. Over his lifetime, he received over half a billion dollars in today's dollars to care for these orphans. And when he died, 
died, the yearly income of his orphanage was $29,000. Now, here's what's crazy. The year after he died, the income was $43,000. And in the 12,000 years after Mr. Mueller's death, over $360,000 came in for the orphanage. It was almost like this spiritual deposit he had of trusting God financially that he'd planted into the ground in this orphanage continued to produce fruit long after he left. That is legacy. That is handing down breakthrough. And I would like to put forth this evening that the things that we reach for in faith, the things we cultivate relationally with God, the activities and the seasons that stretch our faith actually produce an inheritance of breakthrough for the next generation. Revelation and breakthrough. Now, when we talk about spiritual inheritance, there's a temptation to see what God has done in our midst, and we actually end up handing down methods and systems instead of the heart that led us to that revelation and that breakthrough. As Americans, we have this unique need to make things repeatable. I have it in me. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I want to make things repeatable um, and efficient. But I think that this can actually be damaging to an intergenerational move of God. Here's what I mean. There's a danger of codifying revelation and breakthrough. There's a danger of codifying methods and systems. Think of Martin Luther and the Reformation. Most people um, know the Reformation story somewhat well. But what time gone by tends to do is numb us to the unbelievable shock that Martin Luther's 95 theses were to the Catholic Church. At this point in time, the church had only split once since the time of Jesus. And by keeping the Bible's language untranslated uh, to the common person's language, church leaders who were in bed with kings were able to wield the only interpretation and thus ultimate power, the fear of hell over vast swaths of people. There was also a belief at the time that by making payment to the church, um, uh, the punishment for your sins was slowly eaten away by you paying essentially indulgences. So the church was getting rich as people were more and more disconnected from God. And so a group of people began to speak against these unbiblical practices and to translate the Bible into the language of the commoner. John Huss, John Wycliffe, and the Lollards were this crew of people who had one passion. And it was that the plowman, the farmer, could read the scriptures. And so these, these men's names, John Huss, Wycliffe, and the Lollards, became synonymous with heresy. And so millions of people owe their relationship with God to these men. We actually today inherited that read it for yourself breakthrough that these men fought for. And if anybody's ever told you, hey, just if you, if you want to know about Jesus, just read about him, that comes from these men so many years ago. Now, in the midst of this, along comes Martin Luther. And Luther's passion was for grace alone by faith alone. And, the, and for payments for sin, these, these um, payments for sin to be done away with for good. So he nails his 95 uh, disagreements with the church to to the door of the Wittenberg church in 1517. And shortly thereafter, unbelievable renewal breaks out. Whole cities are transformed by the reformers. But here's what happens. Just like the Catholic church had baptized people into their system and into their methods, so did the reformers. They institute infant baptism. So the question is for them, well, is it by faith and by grace your faith 
and grace on you? Or is it by the act of your parents that you're brought into a saving relationship with God? They and generations after them codified their system yet again. And the result was reformed theology rather than a shared heart to continue the reforming and continue the renewing. The danger is always present to codify and formulate what the previous generation had accomplished instead of carrying the same heart that they had carried that brought them to that revelation and brought them to that breakthrough. So how can we avoid this as a church? Here's really where I want to land the plane. How can we avoid this as a church? Just a simple idea. Heart over method. Heart over method. This is a real passion of mine. To keep the why we do what we do fixed, but the how we do what we do very flexible. I think this is how we instill a heart for God in the next generation without codifying our preferences and our methods. And I really believe that this can only happen in a church with four preconditions of that church. First, people of the church have to be secure enough to celebrate the vision and breakthrough of others. When somebody has a vision about what God is teaching them or gets a breakthrough, maybe it's even the same breakthrough you were going for and you haven't seen it happen in your life. If you don't celebrate it, then we'll begin to codify things uh, and, and, and begin to atrophy and not celebrate what God is actually doing in our church. The second thing is that we have to value creativity so that when somebody has a new idea, they have a new way in which we could go about praying or they have a new way in which we could go about speaking or, or doing worship or gathering together that we don't go, oh, well, we've always done things this way. That's the, that, that doesn't help at all. That codifies systems and methods. Thirdly, our styles have to be held loosely. Our style has to be held loosely. Um, a lot of us have a preference about the style in which we uh, engage with church in, whether it's a small group or a large gathering, whether it's worship with a band or, or an organ or something like that. And, and you'll hear people, it's very sad to me, older generations today who have not, uh, who have held on to style, con been concrete about style. And, and because of that, they actually have missed engaging in the, what God's doing in the coming generation. And that's why fourth, we have to have a heart for youth. What will reach the next generation? How do we create spaces where it's comfortable for youth to participate in God's presence coming on an entire group of people? How do we build up older people in the church, wiser people in the church who invest their lives in the youth? I want to leave you with an example from our family, from our church, of how I believe that this is done. And I want you to take it as prophetic for this church because I believe that this is just one example of many, many people who are doing the same exact thing in our church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity of meeting with a family from the church um, who have four children. And they were interested in the idea of righteous identity. And when you, when you come into Christ, you actually get a, a different identity, a different position before God. And it, and it really changes everything. I'd recently given a message about this. And they were curious about it because what they recognized was that this idea of moving from sinner to saint would affect everything that they did how they viewed money, how they viewed wealth, how they viewed themselves in relationship with God, and even how they led their children. They recognized that how they received from God 
and what kind of relationship they had with God personally would be handed down to their children. And so here was the point of the entire meeting. Their primary concern was what sort of legacy they were developing with their children through their family environment. We just talked about last week, the church is a family that builds family. What kind of family are we building? What kind of family are we handing down to the next generation? This is how revival is handed down to the next generation. Keeping in mind, what revelation have you given us? What breakthrough are you bringing about in our midst? And how do we have a heart for the coming generation? So two questions for you this evening. If you are born again with the same spirit that Jesus carried with a new inheritance, what will your legacy be here? What revelation will you have to give away? What breakthrough has God brought about in your life? Do you have testimonies that you can share with other people that encourage them to also go deeper with God? So let's all stand together and let's declare the declaration. We have the privilege of leaving a legacy to the coming generation. Our goal is to leave a spiritual inheritance for those who come after us to enjoy and to receive. We want to create a spiritual platform for those who come after us to stand on. So today we declare, earth will look more like heaven in our lifetime and in the generations to come after us. We will pass down the truth about God to our descendants. And because of that, Newburgh will be flooded with generations of disciples who carry increasing peace and breakthrough. God has ordained praise through children to defeat his enemies. So we will look for the coming generations to partner with us to see God's kingdom come. Amen. I also want to pray for you. So maybe you want to grab a seat again and just put your hand over your heart. And I want to pray for two different things for you. Firstly, for revelation. So God, I declare and I pray that the secrets that you have to reveal to us would be revealed to those who are sitting here this evening and, and hearing this. Uh, you say in Psalm 25, verse 14, that your secrets belong to those who fear you. So I pray for an increased of, increase of the fear of God in our lives. Would you instill in us identity and security? And would you instill in us a desire to hear from you? Would you give us revelation? I also want to pray for breakthrough for you. So maybe there's heal a healing issue in your life. Maybe there's a character issue in your life. Maybe there's a relationship issue in your life. I ask that you just bring it to your mind right now as we pray over that. So God, I pray for breakthrough in the things that are represented by the people listening right now. Whether it's for healing in their body, we declare healing. We say on earth as it is in heaven. Whether it's a character issue, we just ask God, would you expedite the process and would you bring about great freedom through character being freed by you? And we also just pray over any relationship issue that's brought to mind right now, any relational tension in a family or in a friend group, uh, that that would be solved in a moment. I also want you guys to take some time and pray for parents. So if you're a parent in the room right now, maybe just go ahead and slip up your hand. And as the video uh, fades out, I want you guys to take some time and just pray over those parents, that they would have vision for their children, they'd have vision for how they can hand their heart down, but also celebrate the unique individuals that they're raising up in their house. This is how revival is passed to the next generation. So I pray revival on your home. I pray that God would revive hearts in your home and that you would pass those same hearts down to your children. In Jesus' name.